The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. My name is Anthony Patton. Uh, I had a child, uh, uh, my oldest daughter Jessica. I had a child at, at a very young age, and I was scared to death and fear has driven almost all of my decisions. I was afraid, but I found drugs and alcohol and um, 20 years of fighting it, it became a necessity for me. I had no idea what to do any longer. Um, I had eight overdoses. Uh, I had one full-on attempted suicide. The last place I thought to look um, was uh, in Christ um, and not for lack of belief, I just believed, honestly, I saw the fingerprint of design everywhere. I just didn't think he would have a hand in my individual life. So I go to a treatment center. I'm about two and a half months in. I got triggered to use. I went downstairs and I did what I was told to do, uh, hit my knees and pray, and I felt no relief. I thought I knew darkness, and uh, I didn't. Uh, it became to where pride got me. Pride would not let me go back to where the help was. I could not do it. God came down and found me right where I was. Uh, he literally came and picked me up from the mess that I was in and, and, and all these doors were closed on me and he opened his door um, to me. And I went to the Salvation Army and uh, after four days of being there, um, I still had no concept of what God was or what he was going to do for me, but God gave me back the gift of the Holy Spirit before I did anything. I'm listening to, like I said, to I'm listening to what these people have to say about how Jesus will, will change me if I allowed him in. So I raised my hand in a group full of strangers and, uh, and I gave my life over to Christ that day. Luckily, Love City came along with, with my walk. I was introduced to a group of people that, uh, that showed me what real love was. Christ has restored everything uh, that my family's been waiting on. Um, the only thing that was wrong this entire time was an absence of, of God in my life and in our lives. It's a very hard thing to, to, to have to remember that both your, your daughters couldn't figure out why their father didn't love them. And, um, um, Christ changed all that. He changed it all. He has changed me un unbelievably. I'm no longer hopeless. I am filled with hope. I am filled with joy and love for people. I don't know. I don't really know anything, uh, anything else more to say than God is completely awesome. And I am so glad that I finally handed my life over to Him because uh, I am nothing without Him. And uh, I'm proud of that fact. I'm here to tell you, Love City, I just got done not two minutes ago having a conversation with somebody, dealing with a situation that could easily give the devil a foothold to try to convince them that what Jesus does in the hearts of men and women is not real. Where somebody's struggling, where somebody that's been ensnared in sin over and over again, that it, it, it appears as if 
that's about to happen again, but I'm here to tell you, Jesus is still doing work in the hearts of men and women. He is still changing minds. He's changing lives. He's changing families. Jesus is real, and the work that he does is real. It's undeniable, and I'm thankful for it. I'm grateful. Hallelujah. This is the last sermon in our series called Stories. And we've been learning together the power that the blood of the Lamb and His gospel infuses into our testimonies. We've seen that with our stories, we can defeat the enemy, Satan, our accuser. We can encourage each other, and we can glorify God who is their author. Among the many thoughts that we heard Anthony express in his testimony, there's a recurring emphasis on the effect that Jesus has had in his family. And many of you may not know this because Anthony is such a young, stallion-looking gentleman, uh, but not only is he a father, Anthony's a grandfather. Blew your mind, didn't I? He's a good-looking guy for a grandpa. He's probably blushing back there and mad at me, but I don't care. Um, and listening to his story, I can't think, I can't help but think about how the gospel transforms not only individuals and not only families, but the gospel transforms legacies. And this is the title that we're going to work from tonight, Gospel Legacy. We're going to talk about how the gospel changes not only the individual today in their life and not only the family as God moves through Oftentimes, capturing the heart of one person and then as his love envelops that person's life begins um, to just spread throughout that family, but, but legacy through generations. And as we approach God's holy word, I want us to stretch our thoughts beyond the limitations and the parameters that oftentimes keep us confined and, and oftentimes confine our thinking. We're so often preoccupied with the tasks and the distractions of the day, that it's hard for us to, to, it's rare that we have time to think about the impact of our decisions over generations. Oftentimes we're so wrapped up in what's going on right in the moment, what's going on right this week, the struggle we're currently trying to persevere through that we really have time to think, how could it possibly affect generations from now how I decide to deal with and approach this given situation. Now, I know that Matthew 6 commands us not to worry about tomorrow. Maybe some of you had already begun to tune me out because you said, hold on, I have a verse that says you're wrong because Matthew 6 says you should not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow's going to worry about itself. That's a great verse. I like Matthew 6. You do yourself a great favor by reading that a lot because we are prone to worry and we are prone to fear. However, that is not really the same as being conscious of legacy. Matthew 6 is commanding us not to fear for our provision because God is faithful. The most prevalent command through all the scriptures is fear not, oftentimes accompanied with the promise, for I am with you, or, or simply for I am God. God assures us we shouldn't need to fear because of one of two things, either A, he is who he said he is, simply his character should cause fear to flee in his people who know him. But secondly, he's promised to be with us. So we need not fear. But that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about being conscious of legacy. This is not worry for tomorrow. It's understanding that what we do today, our walk with the Lord today, can affect generation after generation. 
Matthew 6, is, it's commanding us not to fear because God is faithful. It's not that it's encouraging us to have a flippant, never make a plan, I only live in this moment kind of existence. That's not what Matthew 6 advocates for. Um, turn with me, if you would, please, to Joshua 4. We're going to read Joshua 4, verses 1 through 7. And what I want to show you from this and what I want to see is that God clearly cares about legacy. Uh, This is not the only verse, I think, that would bring us to that conclusion. However, I think it it does a good job showing that God Almighty is, is conscious of generations. He's conscious of how actions in a certain time can affect children's children's children. And not just in, in, not just in a familial line. It's not only that your actions affect what goes on in your family, but the ripple effect of your walk with Christ or lack thereof uh, can have incredibly powerful positive or negative effects for a long time. And so we're in Joshua 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan... The Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and commanded them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. So here's what we see happening. In case you didn't catch it, this is, uh, it's similar to the story of the Red Sea where the the Jordan River, it's, it's at flood stage, so uh, maybe, maybe 12, 15, even 20 feet deep in the middle, right? So God's people need to cross that. And, and what God says is, uh, when the soles of the feet of the priest reach the water, that, that the water that's coming is going to be, it's almost going to be dammed up. It's going to stop and heap up right where it's at. And the rest of that water is going to be allowed to flow and that the children of Israel are going to be able to walk across on dry land. I'm not sure about you. Um, I've been walking with God a long time. He hasn't parted any waterways for me yet. That'd be cool. Um, and I'm not saying that that's impossible. However, this, what I'm saying is, uh, also coming out of where we understand the children of Israel were coming from, 40 years of wandering, waiting on this promise. So this is a big day for God's kids, is it not? Not only are we ending 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, we are about to enter into the promised land. The way that we're going to do that is miraculous by every, everybody's measure, right? God's going to stop a river And let us walk across on dry land. And so what does God say should be done as that's happening? He tells tells Joshua to send 12 guys, get stones, put them on their shoulder, and and they're going to stack those up. And, And the reason why he wants to do that, he says, so that when your kids, 
and their kids and their kids and their kids, when they say, what is that pile of rocks about? What does that mean to you? That way no one will ever forget the day that God delivered his children, the day that God parted the waters so that they could walk into the promised land. Didn't want to forget. He wanted the legacy, that memory to affect generations so that for generations the children of Israel would be encouraged and comforted knowing that God will do the impossible to be faithful to his promise. That God will stop a river. That he'll do whatever is necessary that his word be kept to his children. God was clearly concerned not only with the events of that very important day, but he wanted to make sure that a legacy was continued. He cared that that their kids, kids, kids would know God was faithful. And he was counting on the fact that they would still be coming by seeing that pile of rocks and that, you know, grandpa's grandpa who wasn't even there, somebody would have told him. God's faithful. Let me tell you this story. That pile of rocks has been there a long time. That was when we crossed that river. That's when God stopped that river right there. And we crossed into the promised land. That's when, that's when God was faithful right there. So clearly God is concerned with legacy. Not only celebrating that day, but that his faithfulness would be known for generations. And he, uh, this was not the only time where a memorial altar was built. Uh, Noah got off the ark, built an altar. Abraham, Isaac, right? Um, Moses, all of these, they would... They would oftentimes, they would find a high place in view. Something monumental would happen. God would do something big. An altar would be built of stone so that no one would forget. So the next time somebody walked by and they're like, hey, what's that? What's that right there? The story would not be forgotten. It's very, it's very important to God that legacy of faith would be continued generation after generation after generation. And so he taught his people to care about that. He was specific even in the way they they instructed their children. Take my commands and bind them upon your wrists. Write them upon the doorposts of your home. That your children's children's children will know that I'm their God and I'm faithful. The reality is that what we do in this life, the choices that we make, they will echo for generations. It will go on and on and on. We need to remember that. We must think about that. We have to mentally get ourselves out of the the hustle and the bustle and the rat race of the day and understand that even down to the words that we speak, that they have impact beyond just the moments when they're released into the air by our vocal cords. It's important. Our walk with God matters, not just in this life and to the people that are around us now in our sphere of influence. And some of you are young. Some of you, you're you're struggling to even connect with what I'm talking about because, you, you know, you're coming out of high school, you're in college, maybe you're just newly married, and you're like, look, I've got time to be worried about somebody's kids, kids, kids. Well, first of all, that's arrogant, because you don't know. I love you, but you're not promised tomorrow, okay? Everyone cool with that? Are you upset? You mad now? Good. Sometimes I'll agitate you on purpose, just to make sure you're paying attention, okay? So you don't know for sure, so we, we need to think about legacy today. We need to think about... If I, was to, if I was to die tomorrow, what, what would be remembered about me? Would 
Ultimately, would God be lifted up high? Would God be made famous? Would God be glorified by the memory of my life? Would anybody be pointed to Christ because of the life that I lived, the words that I spoke, the way I spent my time and my talent and my treasure? What message would it speak? What would they be able to assume about my priorities based on those things? The best real-life example that I know to to illustrate this point to you is my great-grandma, my great-grandma Marquis. And uh, it is the same last name as mine, Marquis. However, they pronounce it Marquis, and I quote, because my great-granddad never wanted to be mistaken for a Frenchman. So there you go. Uh, (laughs) He was a 6'2 Dutchman and didn't want anybody to be confused, right? So... Uh, they, they changed it to Marquis, however, the, the proper pronunciation is Marquis, and I think it sounds a little smoother, so I went that way, not thinking that most people would um, <clears throat> confuse me for a Frenchman. So, um, off we go. Details you didn't necessarily need to know, however, if I refer to Grandma Marquis, don't want you to be confused, all right? Uh, my grandma was born in 1930, okay, so that means coming up here soon, uh, She'll, she'll have her 84th birthday, and I talked to her just the other day. I talked to her in preparation for this sermon. I wanted to hear about her life and her story a little bit more, uh, fill in some of the details that I didn't know. It's funny because every time I get on the phone with her, she's so quick to tell me how good the Lord is to her because she's 84 years old, doesn't take any prescription medicines, just calcium. Wants to, I'm talking every time. Vincent, the Lord is so good to me. I'll tell you what, I don't have to take any pills. I just take calcium. If, if you can tell, I love Grandma, okay, so... If, if you're uncomfortable with that, you just have to deal with it. Um, so in, in talking to her about her life, uh, in talking to her about the way she came up, she described her parents as having a general belief in God. However, they were never part of a church family um, where they could have encouragement and accountability. And in her words, they never had any good Bible teaching. And so as a result, um, one of the things she was kind of unprepared to deal with is uh, she recalls spending a lot of time at a neighbor's house, um, and, and those neighbors had some affiliation or were a part of the occult. They practiced Wiccan and other forms of uh, witchcraft, things of that nature. And my grandma remembers at 10 or 11 years old that she uh, you know, had spent a lot of time over there and would, would be a part of these, these rituals they would do, and she could put her hands on a table and and could focus, do something, and could levitate a table at 10 or 11 years old. Uh, and she was a part of these other these um, spells and other witchcraft stuff that this family w- was a part of. Um, and, and, of course, she attributed that to the fact that though there was some general positive sense in, in her family towards God, she had no solid biblical teaching, didn't know that what she was doing was, uh, was not okay. Um, and let me, let me just say two things, because there's two things you, that I think need to be said in, in just the fact that I mentioned that part of my grandma's story. One, the first thing you could be saying is, well, <clears throat> you know, maybe grandma's lying. Maybe she's making up the stuff about um, levitating tables and stuff. I, the only thing I would just say to that is, and, and maybe I'm dating myself a little bit here, aging myself. Have you ever seen The Water Boy? The movie The Water Boy, Adam Sandler? Um, I'm not going to recommend it because I don't remember all the details. However, it's funny, okay? And so if you're too stuffy for that, I'm sorry. However, so uh, in, in that movie, uh, 
Adam Sandler is a very aggressive young man, and uh, one of his teachers asks a question about something, and so uh, Adam Sandler gives the answer based on what his mama had told him, right? It was something about um, why, why crocodiles are so grumpy, and uh, his mom told him it was because they had all those teeth and no toothbrush. And so the teacher, who looks like Colonel Sanders in the movie, says, you know, kind of laughs at him and says, well, boy, mama's wrong. And, um, and then Adam Sandler, you know, just, I don't, just knocks his lights out, does something, tackles him, or two foot kicks him in the chest. I can't remember. Bottom line, and the reason I'm telling you all this is grandma's not lying. Okay? I know nobody's perfect, but grandma's darn close, Okay? So don't talk smack about grandma, not about me, around me, Ryan, or nobody, man. We'll be like you, like white on rice. Grandma Marquis, nobody talks bad about, says boo to, does anything but be real nice to, okay? They're going to get hurt in a special way, okay? So, grandma's not lying. Everyone okay with that? Good. All right. Second, and this, this is something that you assume everyone knows, but I really want to deal with as, as your pastor because I love you, and there can be confusing messages about this. Um, I, need to, I need you to know there's no such thing as white magic. There's no such thing as mixing witchcraft and Christianity. Um, and I know for some of you that might just seem so elementary, but uh, some of you may be new to the faith or, or you come from various backgrounds. I need you to understand that there is no such thing as, as a Christian witch, or, or warlock, or whatever they call it, in, you know, in the baggy pant chain club. Um, I, I lived in a home with a supposed Christian practitioner of, of white magic, and I'm telling you, it's nothing but anything from the pit of hell. Straight up. There's, that's period, okay? You can't mess around with occult stuff, Wiccan spells, all that kind of stuff, candle burning, voodoo, none of that. All of that is strictly forbidden in the scriptures, okay? And it's, it only comes from one place. All of that, witchcraft, Wiccan, the occult, all of that type of stuff, that is, that is demon worship. Let me make it plain. It is a distraction and it's a deception pulling worship away from the God who made us, who is the one who is really and only worthy of worship, okay? If you have questions about that, if you're not sure, if you've grown up with a different perspective on it, I love you. And I don't mean to just be abrasive and say it uh, the way I said it as if, you know, your perspective doesn't matter. But if that's, if that's where you're at, I really want to talk to you. And I, and I want to love you and take you to the scriptures, and, and we need to talk about that. Because there's no room inside of Orthodox Christianity for spell casting, witchcraft, or anything of that nature. Okay? That's from the devil. It's very plain. Okay? I love you. And if that offends you, I'm sorry, but come talk to me if you're that person. Uh, also, as a result of having no godly leadership in her life, um, my grandma married very young, very young to an abusive man. Uh, she had two kids with him, and um, after a while, the abuse was so bad that she had no choice but to divorce him. She was not a Christian at this time. I want to make sure to say that. Uh, however, she did deal with a lot of guilt and shame because the culture in that time um, had a much less favorable view of divorce than we do today. I'll just say it that way. Um, so it was a major struggle for her. She eventually remarried to the man that I know as my great-grandfather. Uh, his name is Marnie. He doesn't lie either, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm not totally sure about him. I'm sure about Grandma. I'm not totally sure about him. Um, their life was really difficult. Uh, he was an alcoholic 
from the time that they were married. Uh, neither one of them belonged to Jesus, and so they had a very difficult life. Um, that changed in 1972. Uh, my grandma was invited by an aunt to attend a, a gathering of God's people. And the way grandma tells it, uh, that aunt invited her. She came to the doorway of that church building, and she said that God's Spirit met her right at that door, and that her life was never the same again. Uh, that she had just a very uh, just, just clear encounter with God's sovereign presence, uh, went to the service. That She said that that feeling of God just enveloping her never left her, uh, and she went to the pastor and said, you know, explained what she'd experienced thus far and said, what do I need to do now? Um, much like those in the book of Acts saying, what, what must we do to be saved? She knew. Um, and so the pastor explained the gospel to her, and she became a Christian. I just, I just want to stop and say, you know, I realize that the, probably nobody says more often than I do that, that, that we are the church. This building is not the church. This building can fall down right now around us, and the church still exists. We're still here. Uh, those that are redeemed by God's beautiful grace, that's the church. However, I would pray that wherever we are assembled, I, I would pray that people would have experiences like my grandma did. That the very thresholds, the doorway, that we, we walk with such love and such a vibrant connection and anointing of God's Holy Spirit that when people walk in this place, they encounter God's very spirit and presence. I've heard it said of this place, I've heard it said of you as a people, that people have experienced love in a way they never had before. They've experienced God's presence and being around you. But I want that to be ever increasing. As we walk with Jesus, as we, are, as we are holier because he's holy and because he draws us closer to himself. I'm excited about the thought that people can't get within 20 feet of this church without feeling God's sovereign glory all over them. That, that there's no more arguing or convincing needed. She... She told me she didn't remember much about the sermon. She was waiting for that to be over so she could go and ask what she needed to do next because of the glory of God all over her. And so I'm thankful for stories like that. I'm thankful for Grandma's story, and uh, I'm thankful that um, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Right? Amen. And so uh, Grandma, the gospel was explained to her, and she became a Christian, and um, she returned home and she told Grandpa what she'd, what she'd done and, uh, or what had happened. And he chastised her and said, now why would you go do a thing like that? And I've, she's told me that story many times. And those are the exact words. Now why would you go do a thing like that? Uh, it wasn't long though. And the love of Christ began to do its work. And uh, Grandma prayed and she loved him. And uh, eventually God saved my Grandpa and uh, removed alcoholism completely from his life. When Jesus came and saved Grandpa, he never touched another drink. Um, I'm real thankful for that. And uh, I preached my great-grandpa's funeral in spring of 2012. Some of you remember that. Um, and that was the hardest thing I've ever done. And it was also the greatest honor I've ever had. Because it, uh, it was he and my grandma that took me together with the church for the first time. And it was their life with Jesus that began to send a ripple and a ping down through the generations. You see, nobody in my family yet had put a flag in the ground, had drawn a line in the sand and said they were going to serve Jesus. But they did. And they warred over it. It wasn't easy. You know, when you're the only ones, when you go first, man, that's tough. Some of you are in that spot. 
and I love you, and I'm praying for you. Don't give up, because it doesn't just matter right now. Because think about it. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. You know, we, we really, we must be, we need to be less concerned about having a good time and, and more concerned about having a good legacy. And I'm not saying that those things are always in conflict, but sometimes they are. And if we have the opportunity to pick, I want you to pick a good legacy. If those things are in conflict, if I can either have a good time or have a good legacy, I would hope you would think beyond yourself and gratification for the next day or week. You think about generations. This is a godly way to think. It's a godly way to live. If the Lord does not return, it is very likely... It is very likely that my children's children's children will be affected by one woman's obedience in 1972. And her subsequent walk with Jesus and the life of prayer that she had for her family. Think about that. We're already, well, she's my great-grandma. We're one, two, three. We're already three generations deep. Now I've got kids that are being raised to love and serve Jesus. Now we're four generations. We're already four generations deep. Think about the ping, man. What if, what if in 1972 she had just she had rejected that loving call of King Jesus? I'm thankful she didn't. I'm thankful she didn't. I'm thankful she didn't give up when she went home and Grandpa said, well, what the heck did you do that for? That'd be crushing, wouldn't it? Think about it, wives. Come home and telling your husband, I, I gave my life to Jesus. And he says, are you dumb? <laughs> that would be tough. Grandma didn't care. She knew. She knew it was real. She pushed past it. She loved him anyways. And the influence extends beyond my family. It extends beyond my children's children's children. Because not that I have much to boast about, but whoever's life that I have been allowed to influence or I will be allowed to influence for the rest of my life in ministry. The tens, and I believe hundreds of thousands of people that will come to know Jesus because of the ministry of Love City Church. All of those people throughout the rest of, however long Jesus grants us time on this earth, whatever I'm able to do, they could trace a thread of gratitude back to Grandma. Think about that. Think about... And here's, and here's the thing. I'm not getting you to try to love grandma, my grandma as much as I do, though some of you already do, right? You're like, I want to meet grandma. And you should, because she's the best ever, okay? But that's not my point. I'm not trying to get you to be really excited about grandma. I'm trying to get you to see the potential impact of the choices you're making today. Your walk with Jesus or the lack thereof, how that can ripple for generations, I'm real glad Jesus arrested my grandma's heart. And I'm real glad that that has rung down through the generations. And I, I'm telling you right now, God, God knew in 1972 that he was lining things up to have me in 1995. And because of that, Jesus is going to have my kids and their kids and their kids. As long as I'm alive to wrangle them, they're going to serve Jesus, right? Amen. What you do matters. Whether or not you live to obey King Jesus and declare his glory to all who will listen, it matters.
So I'm trying to get you to see. I'm trying to get you to understand. I'm using grandma's story. I want you to put yourself in that position. Understand what you do, what you say, how you live. It matters beyond today. And oftentimes, it matters for eternity. Because people are involved. Whether you will live by the royal law of love or not, that matters. It has effect beyond today. Whether or not you give in to just how I feel today, the attitude I feel like having today, my own prideful inclinations today, what's best for me today, or whether you'll do the opposite of that every day, following in the footsteps of Jesus, disregarding what may be best for you, what feels the best, and doing what it is, is following in the footsteps of the Master, laying down yourself so that you can love others and exalt King Jesus. Matters for a long time. There's no way for you to calculate. That's what I'm saying. You can sit and try to figure it out, get out paper, get on Ancestry.com. doesn't matter. You're not, there's no way for you to know how far the ping could go of you tomorrow having a smile instead of a frown. Choosing to love people instead of being about yourself. You have no idea who you could encounter tomorrow and what eternal effect that could have. There's no way grandma could know. In 1972, when I was still a twinkle in somebody's eye, not even here yet, that her surrendering her life to Jesus could have an effect on a church being planted in Norwood. What, 30, over 40 years later? Math is hard. So you get my point. Right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is good. I'm going to read you a quote by a man named Pericles. He was a Greek statesman. He lived in the 400s B.C. Uh, he ruled Greece for a significant amount of time until his death, actually. He said this, what you, what you leave behind is not what is engraved in stone monuments, but what is woven into the lives of others. What you leave behind is not what is engraved in stone monuments, but what is woven into the lives of others. And isn't that true? It's what matters most. I want you to think more about the present drama that you're involved in. I want you to make decisions with the long view of things in mind. I want you to consider the reflection your decisions and actions have upon King Jesus. If you are his disciple and you bear his name, I want you to think about how do I make him look today and tomorrow? And on down the line of time. There's an example from history that illustrates this principle well. Um, many attribute the explosive growth of Christianity in the first few centuries uh, only to the aggressive persecution of the Roman Empire. And though this was clearly a factor, cannot be debated that Christianity flourished under persecution, which says a lot about it. Uh, and I'm happy about that fact. Um, I think there is an, another factor that is maybe not of equal importance, but is very important, but it's often overlooked. There are two plagues, uh, well-documented uh, historically. There's uh, the plague of Antonine, 160 A.D. or so. Uh, it's said that, it's recorded that there was, at, at a time, maybe 2,000 deaths a day happening in Rome because of this plague and pandemic. A total of 5 million people potentially died um, 
it's debated, no way to really know for sure the nature of the way the plague moved. They think it was either measles or smallpox, but it was terrible. Uh, about a hundred years later, there was another plague, the plague of Cyprian. Uh, again, it was, it was either smallpox or measles. It may have been smallpox both times. Um, but here's what happened out of those plagues. Here's how, that, here's how this ties to uh, legacy and Christianity. Uh, many were dying. The, the, those that recorded what was happening, it was, it was really grotesque, their descriptions. You, got, you have corpses rotting in the streets. You have family members abandoning their family at the first sign of symptoms because as this plague swept through neighborhoods and homes, people are just dropping dead. So fear is seizing the hearts of the inhabitants of Rome. And people are fleeing the city, uh, just leaving people behind left and right, and, and really hopelessness begin to grasp much of the population. What stood out in this time is that Christians stayed behind. Many, many Christians stayed behind. Many Christians died staying behind. Many Christians stayed caring for neighbors, those that weren't even their family. And this this ethic of caring for the sick and loving those that others were abandoning, this had a huge effect on the way Christianity was perceived by those in the Roman Empire at the time. It showed that there was something different about these people than everybody else. Because how unnatural is it when everybody's running out of town because there's a plague killing everybody, how unnatural is it to get a bowl of water and bandages and walk the other way? I mean, human nature dictates if a crowd of people's running a certain way, we, I mean, we, we jump in and run, right? What are you going to do? You're at the movie theater. You're about to walk in the back door and boom, out come the door. Everyone's screaming, ah, what are you going to do? You running in there? No. Liar. You're gone. You're tripping somebody and going in case it's a bear, Right? So they get caught and you don't. How's a bear getting a theater? I don't know, okay? Analogies break down. Just leave it alone. Lots of bad stuff happens. There's zoos everywhere. Gosh. I wish you guys would cut me a break sometimes on that stuff, man. Um, but you, hear, you understand what I'm saying? This legacy of Christian care for the sick passed down through generations. It's still known today. It still has an effect on the way Christians are perceived. And here's what I'm trying to say. Lately, I don't know if we've done so good honoring that legacy, but I'm saying that we could. I'm saying that in the same way, in the midst of difficulty and darkness and hopelessness, Christians rised to that occasion. They rose up. They were salt and light. They refused to fear, but they loved instead. I'm saying that we could do that again. I'm saying that we're no different. I'm saying that Jesus is still powerful. I'm saying that we're called no less than they were. What are you saying, Pastor Vince? We need to find a plague and go banish people up? No. But there's, there's a plague of sin and there's a, a plague of sickness right outside these doors. At the place you work, there's hopelessness every day. They don't know what to do. They're broken. And oftentimes what we do is we just mill about with them. We just go with the flow. What I'm asking you to do is stop. Consider their hurt. Care. Invest. Be inconvenienced. The cross was inconvenient. 
Understatement of the year? Yes. But oftentimes our schedules, they, they push us and they dictate to us that, that we have this and that. And, and all that is, again, it's selfishness, it's self-focus, it's pride. It, it, it pushes us away from having the power and impact that a Christian should. The Bible calls us to walk in a manner worthy of the name of Christ. These Christians, these early Christians did. Middle of a plague, literally risking their life. Putting themselves in the line of, uh, line of fire with this disease. Uh, changed the face of Christianity. I believe this had much to do with why Christianity continued to explode. I believe it was, a, it was a part of God's sovereign plan. And I'm thankful for those Christians. Many Christians throughout history have left a legacy that points to the glorious reality that when a man comes to Christ, he is a new creature. Many Christians, we could, there's story after story after story of, of men and women throughout history that have left no doubt that something happened when Christ conquered their heart. History is not uh, lacking examples of Christians that have made that clear. That when a man comes to Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. And we take on the character and the nature of our Savior King. But no Christian has left a legacy more impactful than the Lord Jesus who we follow. There's no person in all of history to leave a more powerful and lasting legacy than Jesus. There is no life that more books have been written about. There is no life that more songs have been sung about. There is no life that has impacted the eternity of men and women more so than King Jesus and his perfect life. So what was the legacy that Jesus left? Why does it that his life still echoes into 2014, impacting and changing men and women forever? What was it that he did? How is it that he stood out? I'm going to give you three things. There's probably a hundred, honestly, because everything about what he did and said and thought and the way he conducted himself uh, lent to his legacy. Did Jesus leave a legacy? We're here worshiping him today because of the life that he lived, the example that he set, and he's the one that we follow. And so we will look and we will highlight some of those elements of his beautiful life. First of all, he was obedient to the Father even when it was hard. I'm talking about what were the elements that caused Jesus' life to be one of a positive legacy that rings 2,000 years with as much power and impotence as it did when he lived it. He was obedient to the Father even when it was hard. I'll give you two examples. First of all, the temptation. Um, when Jesus went out, fasted 40 days, and then Satan came which is telling of the way our enemy comes. He wants to come when you're weak, whether you're emotionally weak, you're physically weak. He's going to try to come. He's going to try to capitalize on your fatigue and uh, your weakness. And so he does the same with Jesus. He comes to Jesus. Jesus is not eating in 40 days. And so Satan comes along with this idea and he says, why don't you take that, you're, you, I mean, you've got all this power. You're the son of God. Turn that bread, or turn that stone into bread. And what does Jesus say? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? So was that hard? You haven't eaten for 40 days. Satan brings to your attention, you know what? I, I probably got the wherewithal to turn that stone to bread. After 40 days, I'm hungry. Most of you after 40 minutes, right, are crinkling something 
to get a munch going, right? <laughs> 40 minutes and we're struggling. <laughs> 40 days. He's hungry. Absolutely. So, and some of you discredit, you don't understand that though Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man, that somehow in the miracle of his incarnation, he restricted his deity to the point that he felt temptation in the way that we do. It's part of the way he is a high priest, that he, can, he understands our suffering. He understands our struggle. He's not disconnected from us. And that's part of why he's such a beautiful savior. So he was hungry and he was tempted in the same way you would be had you not eaten for 40 days. And someone said, hey, why don't you... Why don't you make that stone into bread? He rejected that offer. Satan goes on to try to offer him power and prestige and this and that. Jesus shuts him down every time. Brings the word and shuts him down. Every one of those things in, in that weakened state, 40 days of fasting, that was a difficult encounter. And yet he was obedient to the Father even when it was hard. The second, uh, and I'm not sure which of these would be more difficult, potentially the one we're about to speak of in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus is uh, he, he's grappling with the weight of what is about to come in his crucifixion. Right, The Bible records that he sweat drops of blood, that he was under such pressure, so vexed in his heart and mind, knowing what was to come in his crucifixion and subsequent separation from God, that he was going to become sin for us. He was so... He was so, uh, the stress was so great in that that he, he sweat drops of blood. And we see him call out to the Father in the midst of that and, and ask, Lord, if there's another way, may this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, though, what's he say? Thy will be done. So even in the midst of about to, he, he's about to encounter the most difficult situation that any human will ever encounter. His crucifixion was not, that was not easy. It was very difficult. And the hardest thing for Jesus was not the beating that he took that would have killed most men or even being nailed to a cross through the most sensitive nerve centers in his body. That wasn't the most difficult part. The most difficult part was that he would have to disengage and, and be disconnected from the perfect fellowship that he had with God the Father. To know perfect fellowship with God and to have that separated, it was breaking Jesus' heart. Yet, he was obedient even in the midst of that difficulty. Jesus was obedient to the Father, even when it was hard. Most of us are obedient to the Father when it's easy. I'm telling you that in order for us to leave a legacy that's going to matter and that's going to have a positive effect in God's kingdom, we're going to have to obey the Lord when it's hard. He'll give us grace and power to do that. He'll anoint us for that task. We'll need faith. The second thing Jesus did is he modeled selflessness and love perfectly. Uh, I mentioned this earlier because I have a hard time not mentioning it, but because it, it, it just comes up a lot. Uh, selflessness and love is modeled perfectly at the cross. 1 John 3.16 says this, that by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. So we got a lot of ideas out here about what love is, la di da di da uh, I can't get started on that, or you won't, you, you know, you'll be turning stones into bread because you'll be so, so famished and hungry. So let's not go there. However, here's the deal, right? It's made clear in the scriptures that love is defined at the cross. And so 
Perfect love and selflessness, sacrifice, is exemplified by Jesus on the cross. His whole life was about that. He, all of his ministry was about traveling around, meeting the needs of others, caring for others. And we see the apex of that with, with, with him at the cross. And so I want to just take this opportunity for you to understand the significance of the cross. Because some of you may be here, and, and I remember the first time I ever walked into a, a, a building and a gathering of God's people um, I remember the first time I was, I was no more than 10 years old and, and they were singing Nothing But the Blood, which ironically now is probably one of my favorite songs to sing uh, because it's so powerful. But I remember them singing Nothing But the Blood and I remember being 10 years old and thinking, this is super weird. Um, what are they talking about? See, sometimes we can be in the Christian sphere of stuff so long that we, and we get so used to the Christianese that we forget like, this is a little wild, <laughs> what we believe, like just generally. So let, let, let me make plain what it is that we believe. Let me make plain what it is the Bible says uh, matters most. And, and the, the message really that we have to preach, our crown jewel, and that is the gospel. And so what I mean when I say gospel, the gospel is the good news. And, and here we have a, a strong conviction that the good news makes very little sense without understanding the bad news. The bad news is this. Every single human being is separated from God by sin. We've all sinned. We are all imperfect. Everyone aware of that? Anybody struggle with that fact? I'm imperfect. It's very, very plain and clear to me. We all are in that boat. The Bible makes it clear. And so, because of that, because we are all sinners by nature and choice, we are separated from God. What is required for relationship with a perfect and holy God is perfection. None of us met that, so we are all in big trouble. That's the bad news. We're in trouble. But this is what makes the good news so sweet. This is what makes the good news uh, cause me to worship the person who is the subject of the good news, right? Jesus is the good news. He comes. He's born of a virgin. He lives the perfect life that I should have but didn't, that I couldn't in my imperfection. He lived that perfect life. He then stepped in and died the death that I should have died. That is what the cross is about. That is why we sing about blood with a smile on our face. I realize that can be weird. Some of you, you may be new to Christianity. Maybe you've never heard the gospel message. Here's the thing. What's all the blood about? Leviticus is clear that life is in the blood. There's always been Throughout all of God dealing with sin, blood has been the price to cover sins. It used to be the, the blood of bulls and goats, but that was never going to be sufficient. And so ultimately what we had to have was a perfect sinless lamb, and that's what Jesus did. He was willing to let his blood be shed to pay the price ultimately to cover all of our sins. That's what it's about. That's why I sing about blood and dance and put my hands in the air. That's why I get happy when I think about the blood of Christ. That's why it's not weird for me to rejoice even on Good Friday, as I'm, as I'm sad about the fact that my Savior suffered, I'm happy in the same moment because he's buying my freedom from sin. He's breaking the chains that bind me. And so we rejoice in the shed blood of Christ. Also because we know the story is not done at the cross. Because three days later, he rises from the grave. Death had no claim to him because of his perfection. So King Jesus rises from death. And that is the good news of the gospel. That is what we believe. I believe that I was a sinner, that I was separated from God, 
but that Jesus made a way that I could be reconciled. And here's what the Bible says. I don't have to, in order to partake in Jesus' goodness, in order to partake in in what it is that he did at the cross, I don't have to be as good as him. I don't have to try to work harder, do better, be nicer. None of that is going to get me connected to God. I must simply believe that what Jesus did is sufficient. Then, when I believe that, when he comes and he changes my heart, when the Holy Spirit comes, takes the heart of stone that resides within me and makes it a heart of flesh, takes me from someone that is full of hate to someone that is full of love, my desires begin to change, and then I'm not doing good things so that God will approve of me, but because God has approved of me through Christ, I want to do good things. It's a beautiful difference, and it makes all the difference in the way that we relate to God as a father. Quit trying to impress him. He showed that you're approved of by sending Jesus to die for you. Please receive that. And as you do, as, you, as, the, as what that means, the depth of that kind of love, as it impacts your heart and mind, you're going to want to obey him. Out of your love, for him, it's, it's reciprocal. I don't, want, I don't want my kids to obey me because they fear me and, and they, they hope that I'm not going to punish them. I, want them. I want them to obey me because they trust me and they love me. That's the difference. God's a father. So Jesus' legacy, why, why is it still so powerful? He was obedient to the father even when it was hard. He modeled selflessness and love perfectly, and he kept his word. That's the third thing. Jesus kept his word. Sometimes that can be hard to do. Sometimes we have the best intentions, but we don't follow through. But Jesus always and in every circumstance kept his word. He kept telling his disciples that they can destroy this temple, but I'm going to raise it again in three days. He kept telling them they didn't really understand what he was saying, but he, he, he was letting them know, look, they can kill me. But I'm going to come back. Three days later, I'm going to rise from death. I'm going to conquer death, hell, and the grave. I'm going to have victory over sin, Satan, and death. And he kept his word. He always did. Jesus told the truth. Every time, all the time. That may seem trivial to you, and it may not... You may, you may not make a connection right off the bat with why it's important whether or not that you keep your word but I bet, you would, I bet you'd make the connection when you think about the last time somebody didn't keep their word with you. The last time you think someone left you down. The last time someone told you they would do something but didn't follow through. Or just out and out lied to you. How betrayed you felt. How unloved you felt by that. We should seek to not do that. We should seek to always walk in truth. We should seek to keep our word. Jesus did. And we're following after him. And that contributed to his legacy because you can take what Jesus said all the way every time. I need not doubt. I need not question. I don't have to think about it again. If he said it, it's true. If he said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And so I'm glad. He said a lot of things. He said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. He said he's going to walk with me every single day. He said he's going to send me his spirit to help me because I need help. And he said he's coming again. He said the story's not over. And so I'm looking forward to that second coming. I'm looking forward to that day he returns. But in the meantime, I'm going to live not just for today, but I'm going to live hoping that I, I build a legacy that leads to glory. Not mine, but his. 
I want my life to mean something in eternity. I want Jesus to be made much of. Whatever these 70 or 80 years that he gives me, I don't care how long that is. I want to spend every minute and every breath pointing people to him because that's what matters. Amen. Trust me, dear ones, I know that it's hard sometimes to even think about next year, much less the next generation. But it's clear that as followers of Jesus, we must consider how our actions and decisions will affect people in the future. It's clear. We can't avoid that implication from the scriptures. We can't underestimate the power of praying for our families and for others. You ever, you ever just in a cliche way say, I'll pray for you? Please don't do that. The most powerful thing we can do for somebody we must believe this, is to pray for them. Oftentimes in pride, we think, well, if I could go do something, I could help that situation. And maybe you should. And, and you, sh- you should pray about that. Maybe you should get in there and, and get involved and do something as well. But never is it a trivial thing to take somebody's situation before the Lord. Prayer is powerful. Please don't underestimate it. We need to pray for our families. We need to pray for the generations coming. We need to pray for others around us. Pray for coworkers. Pray for the broken that we know. Because though they may seem out of reach to you, though it may seem that you've, you've seen them fall again and again and again and again in the same sin, listen, the story's not over. Somebody, listen, I was a candidate for giving up on, flat out if anybody ever was. And so I'm glad. Jesus didn't give up on me. People didn't quit. They didn't quit praying for me. I'm sure Grandma Marquis got sick of praying for me, (laughs) but she didn't give up. We must also live our lives for a legacy of glory. Not our glory, but His glory. Remember that the only thing you can invest in on this earth that will have eternal consequence is people. Do you understand that? Do you understand why I say that? There's so many things we give our time and energy to. The only thing that will last for eternity on this earth that you can invest in is somebody. Pour your life into loving people. As an ambassador of the gospel of Christ, it will not be a minute wasted. Let's follow after the perfect example of King Jesus. By his grace and anointing, let's obey the Father no matter the cost. Let's love others, no matter the cost. Let's keep our word, no matter the cost. And may all of that be for our good and for his glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to a different paradigm of thinking, Lord, that sometimes we're often used to today, that you've drawn our thoughts away from our own uh, trivial struggles in this time and in this place, God. Help us to set our minds and hearts forward. Let Let us think of legacy. Let us think how our lives and actions, our words, our walk with you. Lord, let us Let us be conscious of the effect that that has, the ping and the echo that that has going forward throughout eternity. 
Lord, I, I ask by your Holy Spirit that you'd bring this to the remembrance of every person within the sound of my voice. Let this not be a sermon that conjured a head nod, but God, may this be your word going down into, into hearts, Lord, as seed and taking root. Lord, I ask that thinking contemplating, living for legacy, that it would affect change in the way we conduct ourselves. That we would, that we would filter our words and thoughts and actions through the grid of legacy and, and how it affects, Lord, the lives of others, the eternity of others, and, and your glory. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for letting us have hope for any kind of legacy. Thank you, Lord, that ultimately our legacy leads us to your kingdom. Thank you that our great hope is found in you. We give you praise for this. Please seal this word in our hearts, Lord. Let it not be something that comes and goes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.